You know, we've been in the series about uh, talking about Advent, right? And kind of a theme of, of Advent is, is waiting. You know, as the, God's people awaited the coming Messiah, and now we await his second coming. And if you know me at all, uh, you probably know I'm, I'm, I'm a very, very impatient person. I do not like to wait on anything. I, I'm that guy that no matter where you are, if there's a line, I'm doing everything that I can to get in the shortest line or maybe whatever I perceive to be the quickest line. I don't care if it's at the bank, at a red light, in line at the grocery store. It doesn't matter. I, I spend way too much energy and just emotional currency, right? Like looking for that short line. And inevitably what happens? Like you already know. Yeah, it's, it's almost like God's trying to teach me something, right? About, about patience because I always find the longest line. And even when it comes to, to giving gifts. Now, when it comes to my wife, I, I'm, I'm like her own little personal shopper. So if you're married or if you're, you're dating somebody, this is, this is free, okay? This is advice. But uh, most ladies like when you buy them stuff. If you didn't know that, I don't know how you're married, but they do. Uh, and if you have one that doesn't care if you buy them stuff, consider yourself one of the lucky ones. But here's all you have to do. You just look at other ladies around that you think are hip, and you just buy her what they have, you know, like what they wear. You don't have to like it. You don't have to understand it. You just, you just buy it, and they usually love it. And that's, that's what I do. But again, it never fails. Like, I'm not good at waiting to give her the gift, right? So, like, I'm so like, just jacked up with anticipation for her liking this gift. I'm so excited about it. I can't wait for the actual day, whether it be her birthday or Christmas or whatever. So what usually happens, it goes straight from the truck to her. Like, it's still in the shopping bag. I might pull out the receipt. I might not. It doesn't matter. But I can't wait to see the look on her face when, when she gets whatever, whatever I gave her. I, can't, I cannot wait. But sometimes when it comes to, to waiting, the gift is worth the wait. And that's what we're talking about when we're, we're talking about Advent, this Advent season, the, the waiting for and arrival of the Messiah, the Son of God, the one he promised would reign on David's throne forever. And, and the word Advent actually means arrival or an appearing or, or coming into place. And as we await Christ's second return, when he, he comes back to make all things right, as we wait on that, we, we, we aren't the only ones that have had to wait. Jesus didn't arrive the first time without a wait either. So if you look back at Old Testament prophecies, some of those are 700 plus years before Jesus came onto the scene as he was promised to come. They, they waited and waited. Not only that, but before Jesus was actually born, there were 400 years of silence where God wasn't speaking at all. They, his people had to, had to wait, had to hang on to his Promises. The people of God have always been and, and will be a people that wait. Israel waited for the first advent, and now we, as the, as the church, await the second. And we live here in the in between. And this is something new for me. You know, it's my whole life, you know, as we, we thought about Jesus coming back, I was just hold off a little longer, right? Hold off. Don't come back. Let me, let me grow up. Let me get married. Let me have kids. But the older I get, I'm ready. I'm ready. I'm, I'm longing for his return. Like there's, there's nothing else I need in my life. I, I just want him. And you have these questions like, you know, what are you, what are you waiting on, Lord? When are you going to make the wrong things 
writes. How much more off the rails can this thing get before he, he comes back to, to set things straight? Have you, have you felt that desperation? There may be many of you there right now. You're, you're, you're waiting in your own lives. You might be waiting on a resolution to, to a problem or a, a diagnosis, a relationship, a, a breakthrough in your life, maybe an answer to prayer. We've all experienced that, that agony of waiting. We, we all share this, this problem. And, and when you look at scripture, it's no different. It's kind of a, another reoccurring theme in scripture. God's perceived slowness in our lives and in arriving can sometimes give way to his perceived absence or perceived distance from us. Like, like where did he go? Why isn't he answering me? Does he even care? And when you look at it from, from that angle, the, the entire story of Scripture can be read as an answer to, to that question, the question that, that most of us carry in our, our souls. Why does God feel so far away? It's the beauty of the gospel is this, that, that the Bible not only acknowledges this this soul ache that we have, right? But it provides an answer. I don't care if you're talking about the story of Adam and Eve or Mary and Joseph or us, right? The, the pattern is the same. God's heart is to draw near to us. That's what he desires, is to be close to you, to close, close to his, his creation, to his children. But it doesn't always feel that way. And so our prayer during this Advent series, this, this season, is that we will become a people that long for his presence, just like the people in scripture did, the way God's people did. That, that, that aching, that we would feel that, that soul ache, like a groaning to be with him, to be in his presence. And this Advent series and, and everything we've been talking about, you've, you've probably done the, the Advent blocks and the devos, hopefully you're keeping up with those uh, done by the team at Goodkind, but we hope you're following along because through these, these stories, we learn just how amazingly relevant God's presence is for our lives, like how, how desperately we, we need it. Christmas is one of God's clearest reminders that he intends to come and live with us. Emmanuel, God with us, Jesus with us. And we're praying that, that you not only kind of intellectually get that, but you, you feel that this, this season, this, this Christmas, you believe it, you live it. Because ultimately, it's his presence, a relationship with God through his son, Jesus Christ. It's in that that our hearts ultimately find peace and satisfaction because his presence comforts us. It saves us. It fulfills us. It satisfies us. It strengthens us. Why? Because God's presence brings with it everything that he is. Like that's who God is. He is love and peace and joy and wisdom and comfort and freedom. His presence is what we were created for. Whether you realize it or not, that's what your, your soul is longing for. And that's been our kind of recurring theme, the, the big idea of the series. Our souls are longing for his presence in us. Not just stuff. Not just presence. And as we, we look forward to this, this second coming of Jesus, to the second advent, today we're going to see that there, there can be purpose. There, there's purpose 
in the waiting. If you have your Bibles, you can turn to Luke chapter one. They'll be on the screen, but our app has message notes in it. There's a message notes section in our app. You can follow along with all the points and, and fill in the blanks and stuff. It's a good way to stay connected. So Luke chapter one, verse five. When Herod was king of Judea, there was a Jewish priest named Zechariah. He was a member of the priestly order of Abijah, and his wife Elizabeth was also from the priestly line of Aaron. Zechariah and Elizabeth were righteous in God's eyes, careful to obey all of God's commandments and regulations. They had no children because Elizabeth was unable to conceive, and they were both very old. So you have Zechariah and Elizabeth. You, you might remember this. You know, we covered all of Luke, but Luke chapter one was like two, two and a half years ago. So you might remember some of this from, from then. But Zach, Zechariah and, and Elizabeth were, were righteous, right? Zechariah was a priest, they, but they were very, very old. And a lot of translations say that Elizabeth was, was barren. Okay, okay, barren is not really a word that we use a lot today. It's, it's a very, very harsh word, but, but you get what that's communicating, right? Not just that she couldn't have kids. That, that, that's, that's like a, lo- a longing for something that is impossible, a loss of a dream. Elizabeth had been hoping and wishing for a child her whole life. And one thing we, we can't miss today is like in that culture, you know, it, 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 was, it was even more than just the, the, the loss of that dream of having a child. In that culture, there was a sense of shame that was attached to it because there was this belief that if that was you, God was punishing you for something. He, he had rejected you in some way. So you're left asking questions like, man, what, 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 have, what have I done wrong? What am I, what am I missing here? And my guess is that many of us have, have been there in that place, asking those same questions. After your prayers have gone unanswered, maybe you sense that, that somehow something in your life is missing. Maybe somehow you're not living up to your purpose. You feel like God is just light years away. I think we can all relate to Elizabeth. We, we feel like something should be different in our lives and, and things aren't going our, our, our direction and we get hopeless in that situation. And we can stand before God sometimes with, with feelings, if we're being honest, of bitterness. Like, God, what have you done? Like, why are you doing this? Or maybe even guilt and shame. And we're asking like, God, what have I done? Maybe it's both. See, see when, when we're waiting for God's presence and in that in-between, it can be easy to, to, to lose hope. Hope can become difficult, but, but it should be encouraging to us today in this story of Zechariah and Elizabeth that God chooses them, the, the most unlikely of couples, to begin telling this, this story of Christmas. You see, God's promise of presence started in a barren place. Another way to say that is that the hope of Jesus God's ultimate plan for redemption, the hope of Jesus started in a completely hopeless place, a hopeless situation. But isn't that just what God does? Over and over and over again, we see it. That he, he, he starts in, in the most unlikely of places to bring about his good in our lives. The good news of God's presence, the story of Jesus' birth begins in the womb of a barren woman. So, so the very presence, catch this, the very place of Elizabeth's deepest pain becomes the place God chooses to work. Not in spite of her barrenness, but because of it. 
So here again, in context, you have, for, for centuries, God's people have been waiting for God to come, the promised Messiah, to take away their sorrow, to take away their, their, their sin, to forgive them, to take away the barrenness of, of death and replace it with abundant life. And he starts with Elizabeth, a sign of all God had planned to do, had promised to do, was starting now. She would receive in part what God intended to bring to all of humanity. Her baby, though not the savior of the world, would prepare the way for our Messiah. So this marks that the time of waiting is over. Verse 11. While Zechariah was in the sanctuary, an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing to the right of the incense altar. Zechariah was shaken and overwhelmed with fear when he saw him. But the angel said, don't be afraid, Zechariah. God has heard your prayer. Your wife, Elizabeth, will give you a son, and you are to name him John. You will have great joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great in the eyes of the Lord. He must never touch wine or other alcoholic drinks. He will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before his birth, and he will turn many Israelites to the Lord, their God. He will be a man with the spirit and power of Elijah. He will prepare the people for the coming of the Lord. He will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children. He will cause those who are rebellious to accept the wisdom of the godly. Zechariah said to the angel, how can I be sure this will happen? I'm an old man now, and my wife is also well along in years. So I have to pause here. Don't you just love the wisdom of Zechariah? I'm old, but my wife is, how you say, you know, well along in years. She old, Gabriel, that's what he should have said. But the point is, he, he doubted, right? He, he, he doubted. He waited for this for so long. It was such an impossible thing. He was like, I don't see how this is possible. And so Gabriel kind of scolds him a little bit in verse 19. He says, I am Gabriel. I stand in the very presence of God. It was he who sent me to bring you this good news. But now, since you didn't believe what I said, you'll be silent and unable to speak until the child is born. For my words will certainly be fulfilled at the proper time. So he tells him, you're going to be silent Mute, and, and probably a lot of theologians also think deaf, and we'll see that here in just a second. But he, he finds it so hard to believe. After so many decades of waiting and waiting, he had lost hope. And even though an angel from the Lord was there in his presence telling him this was going to be the case, he had a hard time grasping it. He, he acts like a lot of us probably would with a little bit of doubt. So God disciplines him. So in this little twist of irony, Gabriel helps him Listen a little better next time. He gives him a sentence of nine months of, of silence. But the discipline isn't forever, right? How, how long will this last? He says, until the child is born. So it's not just discipline, but, but there's a promise attached to it, right? So, so he has this, this hope, something to hope for, hope to look forward to. And that's my next point today is that the, there is hope in the waiting, after waiting their whole lives, now that all of a sudden he's having to wait for nine more months, but he, he's silent. But it's not, it's not a forever thing. There, there's hope in the waiting. He has something to look forward to. The word hope means to expect something, to look forward to something, and yes, to wait. Without the waiting, what reason would there be to hope? 
Hope literally means waiting on something you, you, you hope to happen. And remember, Zechariah was a priest, okay? So, so he knew God's word better than anyone. He already knew of the stories of God previously giving children to, to women that couldn't have kids, right? He did it with all of the, the patriarchs, the, the Sarah, Rebecca, Rachel's of Scripture. He had done it before, but see, there's a difference in kind of grasping something that God could do intellectually and actually waiting on God's promise personally. He had waited all of his life, but those final nine months of waiting were, were no doubt the most profound because he had heard from God. God had given him a promise and he had learned to hope again. Verse 57. When it was time for Elizabeth's baby to be born, she gave birth to a son. And when her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had been very merciful to her, everyone rejoiced with her. When the baby was eight days old, they all came for the circumcision ceremony. They wanted to name him Zechariah after his father. All right, time out. Circumcision ceremony. As you know, circumcision was a Jewish custom going back to God's covenant with Abraham. On the eighth day, every male was to be, to be circumcised. And it was also customary for this ceremony to include the naming of the baby. So, so it seems a little bit weird, but it was also customary for a lot of people to be there to watch all of this. Um, I mean, it doesn't really seem like my kind of entertainment, but to each his own. I have a feeling the room was probably mostly women, but I could be wrong. Um, and get this, the dad would be the one to have to per per perform the circumcision. Um, I think my boys would probably be Gentiles if that were the case. Sorry. <clears throat> so then everyone would chip in on naming the baby, and... And I don't know about you, but like, I don't even want your opinion if I'm naming a dog, much less my, my kid, right? So, but that's what they did. They, they all had their ideas of what the kids should be named, and they all told you. But in most of the time, that kid was supposed to be named after the dad or maybe even the, the granddad. So they want to name him Zechariah, right? But in verse 60, Elizabeth says, no, his name is John. Remember, God already named this baby. His name was going to be John. That's what Gabriel came to say. That's the, the, the ultimate trump card for the in, annoying in-laws. You know, like, I would love to go your way, but God said, right? We have to do it that way. And in verse 61, they said, what? There's no one in your family by that name. So they used gestures to ask the baby's father what he wanted to name them, okay? So this is where I, we get the thing, maybe he's, he's deaf. They're having to gesture to him, like, what do you want to name the baby? The crowd, see, was, was unaware of what God had, had spoken to them about this baby. And so it seemed like foolishness to them. Side note, when you're obedient to God, that's what the crowd does. They think you're crazy. They think you're, you're foolish. They don't know what God knows. They don't know what you know. They don't know what God has, has promised you. Think about Zechariah for, for just a minute. Think how miserable that would be for him for nine months to be deaf and mute. Like the thing they've waited for their whole lives is finally happening, but he's kind of, he's kind of locked in, in his own prison, the prison of his own mind. Left alone with his, his thoughts and mistakes, probably some, some regrets. But again, he had the promise of God to hold on to. And so he motions for a writing tablet in verse 63, and to everyone's surprise, he wrote, his name is John. It appears as though Zechariah 
learned his lesson. He's listening. He named him John. In Hebrew, that's Yohanan. It literally means gift from God. It can also mean God is, is gracious. God's gracious gift. So, so John's name alone would act as a constant reminder of the faithfulness of God and how undeserving they were for this gift that he was given them. Verse 64, instantly Zechariah could speak again and he began praising God. All fell upon the whole neighborhood and the news of what had happened spread throughout the Judean hills. Everyone who heard about it reflected on these events and asked, what will this child turn out to be for the hand of the Lord was surely upon him in a special way. People were in awe. Again, this is what God does. He, he works in a miraculous way, and then he gets the glory. People were in awe, not of, not of Zechariah, not of Elizabeth, but of, but of God and his faithfulness. When he moves through our lives, he draws people to himself. People were talking about it. And then Zechariah, after nine months of silence, he rejoices. His, his pain now leads to praise. He's unstuck. He's ready to worship God. He gives what's called the Benedictus. It's, it's translated good speech, right? This is, this is a song of praise. It's a prophecy. His, his baby, John, he's already born, right? But, but his, his song focuses on the one to come, the Messiah. Because this, you, you got to zoom out just a little bit here. This was not just a big deal for Zechariah and Elizabeth. This was a monumental moment in human history that the promised Messiah was almost here and everything is about to change. In verse 67, he was filled with the Holy Spirit. He gave this prophecy. Praise the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has visited and redeemed his people. He has sent us a mighty savior from the royal line of his servant David, just as he promised through his holy prophets long ago. Now, we will be saved from our enemies and all who hate us. He has been merciful to our ancestors by remembering his sacred covenant. The covenant he swore with an oath to our ancestor Abraham. We've been rescued from our enemies so we can serve God without fear in holiness and righteousness for as long as we live. And you, my little son, will be called the prophet of the Most High because you will prepare the way for the Lord. You will tell us people how to find salvation through forgiveness of their sins. Because of God's tender mercy, the morning light from heaven is about to break upon us to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death and guide us to the path of peace. John grew up, became strong in spirit, and he lived in the wilderness until he began his public ministry to Israel. So John's finally born. Zechariah can't help but erupt in praise to God and tell about all that God had done and all he was, he was going to do. Through his son, John, ultimately through Jesus, God would provide for his people redemption and mercy and forgiveness. All the things that people were waiting for, not only to Israel though, but to all the nations of the earth. And did you catch this in the middle there? Zechariah was so certain that God would do what he promised he would do that he talked about redemption as if it already happened. He said, God has redeemed his people. That's a man full of faith 
about what God has told him is, is, is going to happen in his life and in the, in the world. A lot different than his first response. He knew that this, this birth of his son signaled God was about to visit his people and bring us salvation. And in that prophecy, he refers back to three different Old Testament, Old Testament uh, covenants. He mentions David, he mentions Abraham, and then he mentions something new that God is going to do among his people. So this Davidic covenant is, is universal. It involves the eternal rule of Jesus Christ over all, right? He's king over all. The Abrahamic covenant is national. It talks about God's promised blessing of, of Israel. Then you have the new covenant. The new covenant is personal. That's all about God forgiving sin in the lives of individuals. That's, that's for all of us. He's bringing his presence to you and to me. That's our big idea today. God's greatest present is his presence. His greatest present is his, his presence. Like that's the best he has to offer. From the beginning of time, God has been working to bring us his best. To bring us Jesus. That, that, that's his, his plan from the beginning. The fulfillment of the three covenants tells us he's been working throughout all of history to bring us the very best in his son, Jesus. And in Zechariah and Elizabeth's story, in that, that, that waiting and the pain and the hopelessness, and even through Zechariah's discipline, all of it, all of it, even the hard stuff, was to bring about God's best. His best present. Him. His presence in our lives. And just like he did for them, he wants to, to do the same for us. He wants to bring his presence into your life. To bring you back to Jesus. So you see, their story, like every other story in Scripture, tells us that our best is Him. Your best is Him. You can do no better. It's His greatest present because it's His, his best, right? His best is always for your best. Always. But let's be honest for a second. Do you really believe that? I know intellectually we, we do, right? We say, yes, God's way is best. His best is for my, my best, for my good. But remember, there's a difference between grasping something intellectually and actually hoping for something or, or living out something with, with your, your actions, your behaviors, your attitudes. Do you truly believe that God's best is for your best? If we're being honest, we have to say, not always. See, some of us don't, don't really believe that. We think it's something else. We think that, that chasing things in our life other than him will bring us fulfillment and satisfaction and, and happiness. It'll make us happy. It'll make our kids happy. And I think that's why some of us right now aren't feeling that, that soul ache of just longing for Jesus. The 
longing for him to come back. That the hope of his, his return, see, see our, our actions and our spending and our schedules, they, they prove this out. Like we long for gifts, for stuff. Do, do you really long for him, for his presence? Do you, do you have that soul ache for his return? His best is always for our best. Why? Because remember, his presence brings with it everything that he is. Everything that you are missing in your life. Everything that, I don't care where you're from or, or what you do or, or what your past is like. Or it, We're all the same. We, we, we all long for the same things in our life. Fulfillment and peace and joy, love belonging and the only place to find it is in him period nowhere else not even the good stuff in our lives it's only through him we have to get this. Our souls are longing. Whether you want to admit it or not, whether you realize it or not, our souls are longing for presence, not presence, not stuff. Your soul is aching for him. See, we're looking back on the first Advent's promise of presence. We're looking forward to the second Advent's promise of his presence we live in the in the in between. We we look we look back at when he came the first time. We look forward to his his coming again when he's going to come return and make make things right again. But in that waiting, we can experience pain and suffering, sin, sickness, death, and it can make waiting hard but there's hope in the waiting. God has made us a promise. We've been sharing this quote from Rich Velatus. He says, the good news of Advent is that nobody has ever been faithful in our waiting, but God remains faithful in his coming. That's the good news of the gospel. That is, that is Advent, that the promise keeper keeps his promise to the promise breaker. When we are unfaithful, when we chase other stuff besides him, he remains faithful to us. His promise remains true. Would you bow your heads as we close today? I just want to ask you some questions, some things that to maybe ask yourself or to ponder. For some of you in the room, I know there are some here that, that don't know him. You don't have a relationship with him. You might even call yourself a Christian or go to church or maybe you've been baptized or whatever else, but, but you know at the core of who you are that you don't have a, a personal daily relationship with God through Jesus. 
There's never been a moment in your life where you fully committed. Like you, you put your faith in him for what he did for you on the cross. And I'm, I'm telling you today that today is your day. And you might feel like he's a million miles away. You might have so many questions. You might have anger in your heart, but I can tell you this for sure. God has been chasing you from the start. It is his desire to be close to you. So I'm, I'm telling you now, all you gotta do is turn around. Just turn to him. Repent of your sins and just acknowledge you can't do this on your own. You can't do this life on your own. You can't have a relationship with God on your own. You need Jesus. And you're putting your faith in him. What he did for you on the cross is as he bore your sins, your shame upon himself after he lived this, this perfect life that you're incapable of, he died for your sins as a sacrifice to pay your fine. You just gotta reach out and take it. You can begin a relationship with them or your past is gone. You're a new creation in him. And you now have the Holy Spirit of God living inside of you to lead you, to guide you, to comfort you, to counsel you, to lead you in, in all truth. Just make the decision to follow Jesus today. And we're, we're here, we're your church family. We wanna to help you grow in your relationship. So take that connection card, take it to the Welcome Center. We'd love to talk to you after the service. Are you longing for his presence? Do you truly believe that his best is for your best? Or are you trying to do things your own way? Are you trying to, to force something instead of waiting on him? And we all have questions in the waiting. We, we may have questions for God. We may have some bitterness. We may have some, some anger at times, but listen, God's not afraid of all of that. He's, he's bigger than that. He can handle our, our questions and our doubts, but, but ultimately, where does your faith lie? And what does your faith lie? And who? who? And who do you trust? Do you really trust him in the waiting? Do, do, you, do you really have that, that soul, like that longing for him, knowing that ultimately his best is for your best, or are you too distracted by everything else? God, we... We admit we, we, we are not always faithful in the waiting. God, do something in our hearts. Give us, give us a hope. The hope of your promise. Even, even like Zechariah in the middle of his, his muteness, his deafness, like kind of locked in his own little, little prison there. He, he had the hope of, of your word to hang on to. God, give, give us that hope that you, you have made a promise to your people. One day there will be no more suffering, no more sickness, no more pain, no more sorrow. Every tear will be wiped away. And we can have the, the joy of your presence right here and right now, even in the midst of our difficult circumstances. The fullness of joy is found in your presence. Change this, Lord. Amen.